Sifter for the ear. News, interviews, reviews, cinema, TV, streaming. Action. Hi, y'all. This is Jerry Williams, a.k.a. TV Jerry. Do you know you probably have C-37s laying around the house? Any idea what a honey wagon is? How about greens? These are three of the words that Bob Spencer will be explaining on this second on-set vocabulary lesson. Bob has been working as a set lighting technician in this area for many years, having garnered numerous TV shows, commercials, and movies to his credit. He'll have more fun stories and definitions on this show. Then, Michael Plum from the Virginia Museum of History and Culture talks about the Created Equal film series that launches next week. Sifter Review of the Week 13 Lives on Amazon Prime Video Most people remember the 12 boys on a soccer team and their coach who were trapped inside a flooded cave in northern Thailand in 2018. The Rescue was an excellent documentary about that event. Director Ron Howard has helmed this narrative version that features actors in the recreation. There is some attention paid to the plight of the families and the authorities in Thailand, but most of the focus is on the English cave divers who led the effort, played by Colin Farrell, Viggo Mortensen, and Joel Edgerton. While this version goes more deeply into the fascinating procedure, it's also two and a half hours long. Howard has told the story effectively, but there's surprisingly little emotion on display. The documentary did it better. Still, if you haven't dived into the details of this incident, it's an incredible true story of determination. I gave it three out of five stars. Now let's get back to our vocabulary lesson with Bob Spencer. So another word that people see sometimes, and they might be able to figure this out from the word, greens. Okay, not, greens. It's not something you eat. It's not something yeah. on the craft table. Well, it might be yeah. on the craft table. Yeah, well, that's true. It's more healthy craft. They do all the landscaping, anything that's live, flowers, bushes, trees, grass. I remember a friend of mine who worked on one of the historical movies years ago here. They shot in Saco Bottom because they wanted all the cobblestones, but they had all the stupid parking meters. So they ended up having to put plants in front of all the parking meters to make it look like there were no parking meters, obviously. Yeah, that's called greening it out. It's actually a verb. They're really helpful to me when we're running cable. And there's no way of getting power over to that section. There's no way of concealing it. It's going to be in the shot. You ask the greensman who, and you to just green that out. And they throw leaves on it or anything else. They also do the mulching of the asphalt for period pieces to make oh, the nice. asphalt go away. Now, if it's plastic flowers, it's props. That's a, Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, so if you have a garden and you can't afford real flowers because it's dead of winter, they just stick some plastic tulips in there, so that becomes the props department. Well, it it's only becomes a prop. If the actor picks it up, it's a prop, no matter what it is. Right. If it's just in the background and you see it, but no one touches it, then it's actually set dressing. So plastic okay. flowers would be set dressing. Live flowers would be greens. Okay. Here's a crazy one. I'm not sure where this came from, actually. I think I looked it up once and forgot. A C-47, which we call clothespins, but somehow on the set they call maybe that's to keep them exclusive and sound fancy? Well, it means, you know, you can charge more for them. But, <laughs> no, uh, uh, no C-47, there's a couple of different stories about it. Supposedly out on the stages and studios out there, they had all the equipment in these giant warehouses, and the clothespins were kept on row C bin 47. Uh-huh. That's one of the stories. That's one of the stories. It's probably the most logical one. There's a lot of names for them. Bullets, pegs. And what are they used for? Well, you can use them for a lot of different things whenever you need like a little a little wedge for something. But we primarily use them to clip the gels to change the color of the lights onto the barn doors. 
wardrobe uses them to tighten up the backs of people's suits and shirts and right, things. Right, right. It's too big. Don't... You see a row of clothespins down their back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's a universal device. You can take them apart, flip them backwards, and make like little tweezers out of them. They are kind of archaic since they came out with little spring clips. You know, the spring clips are they. Right. Like West Coast calls them Hargraves because that's the name of the company that made them. Number one, number two, number three, Hargraves, which uh, they'll ask for that. Guys from the East Coast won't know what they're talking about. Huh. And New Yorkers, they're called Pony Clip. And that's because Pony made them. This company named Pony. And there was Ponies 1, 2, and 3. They were just give me a Pony Clip. They came out with these little teeny ones, these little like alligator clip things like that right. a few years ago. And that became de rigueur. Now, everybody carries those. And with LEDs, you don't need to clip gel on lights anymore. Are these new ones wood or are they plastic now? No, they're, they're metal, little okay. metal spring clips. So that's one disadvantage because obviously with the wooden clothespin, with the electricity, there was not as much of an issue if you had to. Well, that's and true. Heat, and heat they, transfer. They, and the heat. Uh, the first time I saw the little point fives, I worked with the Japanese crew where wood is incredibly expensive over there. So they use these little metal alligator clips. And they get hot. I'm sure. And I didn't quite realize that until I tried to pull them off without gloves. <laughs> and it's like I kind of had an imprint for a long time. And in fact, when I they'd never seen clothes, they didn't understand clothespins. And whenever I would drop some, because they're they're disposable, you, some kid would grab them up and bring them to me, you know. And and at the end of the shoot, I gave them a bag of clothespins, and they took me out to to lunch. Again, there's so much stuff that has changed in the last five years and stuff. Digital photography and LEDs. Like we don't have a right. film loader anymore. They used to be entry level into the camera department was the loader. Now they don't really have that. Now they have DIT, which stands right. for think digital imaging technician. Right. They do the digital media and they organize the hard drives and all that yeah, stuff. All yeah. that yeah. stuff. And now with the lighting control being done wirelessly, you almost need a, a guy that can set up routers and networks uh, to work with the electrics department now. They want to be able wow. to control the lights on an iPad right by the monitors. And wow. So here's another one that is a pretty hilarious expression, honey wagon. In the old days, they referred to the honey wagon as all the RVs, all the trailers that the actors and stars hung out to and that's where the producers and the studio heads that's where they said that's where their honeys are ah okay back in the day when they all had honeys the casting couch and those those terrible old days on smaller location shoots they would have a long trailer that had tiny dressing rooms in them and also the crew restrooms and if you were a small player, you didn't get one of the big trailers. You you got a, like a little a couch slash bed and a table. There was and there was a communal bathroom on them too, his and hers. They still use Desi and Lucy. That's funny because you know we were in New York last year, and this is before the uh, being the Ricardos had come out, and we were literally walking down the street in Manhattan. And of course, there's always film trucks in Manhattan. They're making movies everywhere. On one of them, it said Lucy and Desi, and I was like. So are they making that movie here? And then somebody told me later, no, that's the standard name for male and female in the uh, bathrooms now. Right. Yes. They, they Usually the star has a single room. Sometimes it's their own personal one. They have RVs that are split in two with a bathroom and a little kitchenette and things. The more money you can man, the bigger trailer you get. There have been trailer wars between stars that think they're complaining that one their trailer is smaller <laughs> than the other guy's trailer. Right. So, <laughs> now, what you said things have changed in the last couple of years. Obviously, one of the biggest changes was COVID. 
Talk a little bit about some of the protocols that take place on a set with COVID. And we did, uh, by the way, I had a couple of weeks ago, I had Chris Leary, who works on Saturday Night Live, and he had to work during COVID. And he talked about having to wear the masks and having to wear the, you know, the plastic shields and the masks and all that stuff. I don't want to get deep in the woods on COVID, but what are some of the basic things that changed on a set when suddenly you were going back to work and you had to have all the COVID protocols? First of all, there were months where we didn't work. Right. It was all shut down nationwide. And then the unions, the, the Screen Actors Guild, the IATSE, which is the crew, Directors Guild, the Teamsters who represent the drivers, they negotiated for months for what the best practices were. They brought in outside medical help and stuff like that. The critical part was the actors because you couldn't film them wearing masks and protection. Sure. So there was this protocol for isolating them. They broke it into a zone system. There was zone A, zone B. A lot of times off-production office people, they were zone C. And they set up testing profiles. Zone A, some initially were getting tested every day. Zone B, every other day. And then I think once a week for the office people and stuff. Uh, And if you tested positive, you would be quarantined for 10 days with pay. And I do know some local actors who worked on some movie during COVID, and she actually had to go out and spend five days, expenses paid, in a hotel room, quarantining before she could go on the set. And she, I mean, she was tested negative, but they required that as just, she had to just hang out for five days before she could Well, they did that. Some places, some productions shot in what they call the bubble. Tyler Perry has like a military base, a defunct military base in Atlanta. Footnote. Actually, that defunct military base was former Fort McPherson Confederate Army Base. And they tested you coming in. You didn't leave the lot. And you were just inside a container thing. Now, with the crew, we were pretty much replaceable. If a crew member tested positive, they would go on quarantine and they would try to find somebody to come in. The hard part was scheduling day players because they had to have their results back before. So you had to get them tested way ahead before you even know that you really needed them or not. Which is like that woman I was talking about. Yeah. In zone A were the actors. Anyone that came into close personal contact with them, the hair and makeup people, the wardrobe people, the ADs, some departments like the electrics department had A's and B's. There were only A people were only allowed to be on the set. Around the set, they had caution tape and only people, only A group people. We had separate catering. We had separate restrooms. They had separate entrances. A's had separate entrances to the stage than B's did. And then there was social distancing. And then they hired, there was a new department, health and safety department, where they had a health and safety coordinator. And then they had minions and they had a budget. Disney had a $12 million budget or something for dope sick. They were doing nothing but cleaning signing. We had separate air dining areas. Uh, they made sure everyone was supposed to stay six feet apart. They even brought in a beach noodle, uh, one of those foam things, right, right. six feet long. And I love that. I just, <laughs> yeah. And then they had like these production assistants in the blue vests who were their minions. And they were the ones that were calling people out. They were the COVID police and they hated it. And I, I tried to just let people know they're just doing their job and trying to keep us right. safe. The weakest link were the extra, were the background people because they would come and go. We only and dope sick. We lost one day due to a background person tested positive over the weekend, and they had contact tracing that was run out of L.A. and it was closed on the weekend. So they did, producers decided to shut down on that Monday. 
Uh, then there were the face masks. There was, of course, there were masks. There were testing trailers that we took around with us and as much PPE than you could ever want. It was like a boutique. You could get any style you wanted. You could right. get any kind of mask you wanted. Face shields were required for zone A people only. With a mask and as well, right? The ma- mask, mask, yeah, and, mask face shield. and face shield. Some of them were quite, some of them looked like race car helmets. And it was primarily hair and makeup. But anyway, anywhere you were, you were supposed to wear face shields, hand washing stations everywhere, sanitizer everywhere, cleaning crews that came in and wiped down everything. Again, another weak link with the actors, because when the actors got tested positive, I mean, you can replace the crew. In fact, a couple of whole departments got quarantined on the show and they just brought in another crew. There was another show in town that had a, a bunch of young actors. They were out partying and they didn't take it too seriously. and a lot of key principles were testing positive. And so they would have to shut down production. Now, you mentioned earlier unions, IATSE, IA, as it's called by people in the biz, I guess. Virginia is a right-to-work state. So how does that work when they're going to hire people, union versus non-union? Can they even ask? Well, no, there's the labor law. Okay, we are a right-to-work state, which means unions are not banned in the state. It means that in a shop state, When you start to work there, you have 30 days to join the union or you have to leave. Uh There aren't many of those left. And in Virginia, you can't lose your job for not being in the union. And they're not really allowed to ask you whether you're in the union or whether you're not in the union. But if they look at your resume, they can pretty much tell. Sure. If you shoot independent films, low budget things, commercials, then you're probably not in the union. Uh, If you're shooting major motion pictures, you probably are in the union. The IATSE is actually a union. The Screen Actors Guild is what they call a a guild. They don't really try to keep their people from signing. As long as they get their deal and their contract and and they abide by the SAG rules, then they can work on non-union shows. Then uh, the Directors Guild, that's what the producers belong to, the UPMs, the assistant directors, the ADs, they belong to DGA, which has its own sets of rules, and that's the production path. And then there are the Teamsters, who basically represent all major motion pictures. They have different locals that just do entertainment. And so the drivers, because there's a lot of gear and it all moves by trucks, and they're an integral part of an unsung part. They're usually at the end of the credits with the drivers and the transportation captain and the transportation coordinator. They call it the movies because that's what we do. We move massive amounts of equipment all over the place. That's all the list of all the vocabularies I had. Is there anything that you think people might find interesting that I left out? Uh, well, there's the video assist guy. That's that's a fairly recent. Uh, when I started out in the uh, business, fairly you mean like thirty years? <laughs> yeah, thirty years. Thirty years. Well, when VHS made its debut. When I started out, they didn't even have a monitor by camera. The director, the DP, would ask the operator, "Did you get it, or do you need another one?" And it's like, well. No, I can use another one. Or I nailed it. And then you trusted the guy. Uh, But you always did one extra just in case there was dirt. Yeah, yeah, you always do a safety. You always do a safety. Then you got to also check with the dolly grip to see if, you know, did he have his marks? And you also got to check with the first assistant camera who pulls focus and makes sure that it's everything's in focus. And then the first thing they brought in was a, a little black and white monitor. Was, they put a video tap on the camera, and so the director could watch what the camera was seeing. And the first thing I saw was that the script supervisor, they put a little optical 
printer on top of the thing and she could freeze a frame and print it up on thermal paper like fax paper and put it in her script supervisor book so it gave better than written narrative as far as what the shot was. And then came VHS and that slowed things down because then they would feed it to a, a VHS deck. And stop and, and watch everything. True. Everybody wanted to go back right. and look at it. That slowed everything down. And then it went from VHS to digital imaging now. Now they can just keep, they can just watch it. But anyway, the script supervisor, that's another key. There's only one of those. There's one director and there's one script supervisor. Uh-huh. The script supervisor has the script. They make sure that the actors say all the words. If the actor forgets things, they feed them lines. They also make sure that continuity is maintained. Continuity is where you, you know, if, if the guy's glasses were on on this shot and we're doing a close-up, they still got to be on. Don't forget that. Right. Yeah, you see it all the time in drinks on tape. The guy's drinking a glass and every time they do a different take, a different angle. The water goes up and down, right. So it's their job, which is a thankless job, and they watch the monitor and they, they're looking for these things. They're looking to make sure that everything is the same and they maintain what's called continuity. But also they take copious notes of what the camera setups were, what was shot, what was seen, what wasn't seen, what, what takes were good, what takes were not good. And then they, they compile a book and then they have to pass that off to the editor. And actually that comes in handy. I know one of the things too is like say that for COVID, if you had to stop shooting for two months and come back, you got to come back. You've got all the group supervisors and those, okay, that they had the second button open for this shot and whatever, the glasses were on. So they can match that stuff six months later or two years later. Well, that's what we used to do with Polaroid. They had $30,000 Polaroid film budgets. Every department got a Polaroid. Makeup would take a picture of the actor after they were done. Wardrobe would take them diagonally to get the whole length of them before they went on the set. Uh, set dressers, before they moved anything. Grip and Electric, we just took funny photos of everybody else <laughs> and, if, and if, a, if a piece of equipment got damaged or blowed up or run over or something you took polaroids of that for the insurance and stuff like that but then that went away with the cameras and the phones no one did that anymore and it's a very collaborative thing no one department no one person can do it by themselves so you're continually reaching out to other departments who have the equipment and tool supplies that need to do what you need to do when you're rigging when you're out rigging and prepping and stuff like that and you're the first team to go into a, a location there's the set dressers or set decks led by a lead man and the lead man they he makes sure that all the stuff that the decorators picked out gets to the set the rigging gaffer and the lead man we cover each other so you learn to rely and develop a relationship with these people the sound guys we, we try to help them out they have a hard job you have sound operator your recordist your boom man a utility guy. The DP relies upon the, the production designer to give him the visual look that he needs. And you make requests of other departments. You can order people in your own department down the line. But when dealing with other departments, you have to request. And usually the protocol, you either go to your parallel person or you go to the top person. You just don't grab a, a guy in the field and, and tell him what to do. You, you, you go through chain of command. So what are you watching right now? Are you watching what TV shows, movies? What are you watching when you have a little time to kill? Basically, I, I watched, I rewatched Key Largo the other night. The original or the uh, Scorsese version? The original. I like documentaries. I'm not a fan of sitcoms. Uh, I don't watch much network television. 
Nobody does. I'm going to sit down. I promised myself and Jay to uh, binge on Stranger Things. I just, I've heard so many things about it. I like watching art films, foreign films, uh, a lot of Asian films. Well, Bob, this has been very informative, very educational, and very entertaining. So I want to thank you so much. Are you working on any movies coming up? Or you you said you might get on Swagger for a day. I might might be day checking on. I've got a full plate now. Actually, I don't turn down many offers. I basically have been mentoring people. I spent a little time down at VCU with the film department and, you know, trying to organize their gear and and trying to teach the kids the real way it's done. That's great. Well, and you obviously do it very well. So I want to thank you for taking your time to mentor us today and my listeners. Uh, It's been my pleasure. I'm really glad that you're doing this. And thank you so much for bringing Tommy on. I I don't get a chance to see the the old crowd too much. So you take care. Bye-bye. Bob Spencer's been working as a set lighting technician in this area for many years, having garnered numerous TV shows, commercials, and movies to his credit. He's been sharing his extensive experience and knowledge of on-set life in these two episodes. Before we get to the coming soons, we have a film series starting next week. The Virginia Museum of History and Culture is about to launch their annual Created Equal film series, and Michael Plum is here to tell us more. So, Michael Plum, welcome to Sifter. Thank you very much for having me. And you are the Vice President for Guest Engagement at the Virginia Museum of History and Culture. What exactly does that mean? Sure, that's a great question. So, the Guest Engagement team at the VMHC is a lot of our frontline staff who work in guest services and retail, as well as our new cafe. We also have our education team who handles kind of student and adult programming throughout the building, our special events team, and also our tremendous volunteers. And of course, you mentioned special events. The reason you're on here to talk today is about the Created Equal film series. What's the idea behind that series? Uh, It's one of those great things that I can't take credit for because it started before I arrived at the museum way back in 2013. The museum was really lucky to get some NEH grant funding to support a film series that would really focus on documentaries that highlighted areas of, of social justice, human rights, civil rights, things like that. And it was created, this film series, in honor of a former trustee of the museum, the Reverend Grady Powell, who himself was very active in the civil rights movement in Virginia. So it had its genesis there, and uh, we've kept it going over the years now. After coming sort of back out of COVID closures, we're really excited to start this program back up. This is kind of an unusual series because it's not a festival where they're all happening at the same time. It's a series. So they happen once coming up next week. Then there's one in October, one in December, and one in February. You want to give me a quick rundown of what each of those films are? Absolutely. So we're kicking off the program with a documentary called Herd, and it really looks at the stories of individuals who are current and former residents of public housing in Richmond, Virginia. So it's looking at um, kind of their lives, their stories in their own words, and how kind of they're overcoming the challenges of daily life, but also working to give back to their communities and try and make really life better for those who are coming behind them in those areas. Directed by my buddy Dave Powers also. And Dave will be there as part of the panel conversation after the film. Speaking of that, that is too, there will be a Q&A session after each of the films, right? That's correct. So it'll vary in terms of who participates, but after each film, we want to have a chance for some dialogue you know, between panelists, but also the audience. And that's also a great chance for attendees to really get some takeaways and, and really kind of figure out what they can do next as part of the program. 
So the other three films are? Sure. So we're looking at These Things Can Be Done, which focuses on the journey that women took to get the right to vote. And we're also looking at the Mending Walls documentary, which Hamilton Glass started Mending Walls back in the spring of 2020. And it's looking at the power of public art to sort of bring people together and have conversations about their community. I just want to jump in and mention I did do a podcast with Hamilton and the producers of Mending Walls back in March. And I'll put a link to that on the webpage for this show. Yeah, and the fourth film is called Raised slash Raised, and it's talking about the Vinegar Hill neighborhood in Charlottesville, Virginia. It was a thriving African-American neighborhood and looking at the impact of the federal urban renewal program that essentially raised, you know, tore down that neighborhood and sort of what that meant for that community as it tried to, you know, kind of just define itself moving forward. There are actually two partners in this series. One, the Community Foundation, which you mentioned briefly. You want to give us a quick explanation of who they are? The Community Foundation is just a wonderful partner of ours. They're really sort of the center for philanthropy in the Richmond region, and they are such a trusted member of the community of stewarding funds to make real impact in the neighborhood around us. So we're excited to partner with them and for them to sponsor this series. And then the other partner, and I've had interviews with several of the people from the station, VPM, what's their connection? Yeah, early on, as we started looking at films that we wanted to feature uh, around some of the topics that were important to both the museum and the Community Foundation, I just kept gravitating back to, to documentaries that were, were produced by VPM. And uh -huh. we've worked with them in the past. They're also great partners of ours. And so we're really thankful that they you know, agreed to let us screen these documentaries and to really, again, be a part of that conversation that we all want to have in the, in the community. Important, we haven't mentioned yet, these are free. That's absolutely true, yep. And this will be in the, the big new auditorium too, right? Yeah, so the museum, as you probably know, has just gone through about 18 months of really intense construction and renovation, and we're really excited to show it off. And it looks great, too. Yeah, oh, thank you. Yeah, we have a 488-seat theater where these films will be screened. They are free. Uh, we do want people to go to our website, virginiahistory.org, to register. I'll have a link on my website, too. Perfect. Yeah, we want people to register to let us know they're coming and to save their seat, but they are free. And we think that's really important for this. We don't want there to be any cost barriers for people to come and really be impacted by these films and the conversations that are generated by them. So we're excited about that. If you're coming to the museum, do you have to pay for regular admission to see these movies, or is that a separate thing? That is separate. And so actually, with the timing of these, when the films are being shown in the evenings, the rest of the museum is closed. So you don't have to pay anything to get into the building or to get into the film. What about to get into parking? I noticed the parking lot's now paid only. So yeah, we do have paid parking now. Um, so it, it's a free for members, so it's a great member benefit if you're a member of the VMHC. Insert plug here. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, great member benefits for those who are a part of uh, part of the museum. And then there's plenty of other parking options around town, lots of street parking too. So, yep, we don't want that to be a barrier either. Well, Michael, this has been very informative. I'm excited for you all to have a chance to share these films. I've seen a couple of them and they should provoke a lot of interesting conversation. Absolutely. And I appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your schedule to talk to me. Okie dokie. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Jerry. Take care. That was Michael Plum from the Virginia Museum of History and Culture, who was talking about their Created Equal Film series, which launches next week. There'll be a link on the webpage for this show at tvjerry.com. Coming soon. In theaters. Beast. Idris Elba stars as a father who defends his daughters from a massive rogue lion. Dragon Ball Super. Superhero is the latest animation in the series. Orphan First Kill in theaters and on Paramount Plus 
Isabel Furman reprises her role as the homicidal young lady in this prequel that has her traveling from Estonia to the United States. By the way, there's also Back to the Drive-In, which is the documentary that opened last week about the revival of outdoor screenings during COVID. TV and streaming. Leonardo is a new biographic series that dropped today on The CW, featuring Aidan Turner and Freddie Highmore. On the 18th, She-Hulk, Attorney at Law on Disney. Tatania Maslany, best known for Morphin Black, plays Bruce Banner's green cousin, who also practices law. Sprung on Freebie, Garrett Dillahunt stars as a man who moves in with his former cellmate. By the way, local actor Bridget Gethins has a part. And finally on the 21st, House of the Dragon. This is HBO's big gamble on a follow-up to Game of Thrones with this series set 200 years earlier and costing even more money. Look both ways on Netflix. Lily Reinhart, best known as Veronica on Riverdale, plays a woman whose life ends up in parallel realities. In one, she gets pregnant, and the other, she moves to L.A. Super Spreader on FX, a documentary about an evangelical singer who held mass outdoor concerts during COVID. Bad Sisters on Amazon follows the Garvey sisters who are bound together by the death of their parents. Echoes on Netflix is a mystery thriller about two identical twins with a secret, starring Michelle Monaghan as both of them. Making the Cut, the fashion competition featuring Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn, returns to Amazon Prime Video for a third season. Next week, the creators of The Good Road, which is getting ready to launch its third season. This is Jerry Williams. Thanks for listening. For more Sister, including literally thousands Thousands of of reviews, reviews, visit tvjerry.com. That's a wrap.